Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Missed the show? No worries. Alex Pearson here. We've got you covered on our podcast on Point tonight. We talked to the new Green Party leader who's making history and looking to make big breakthroughs, likely eating into NDP support. Trudeau liberals announce a plastic ban. Of course, they're not banning water bottles, which would make sense, but we'll talk about why one former liberal now calls the party a climate cult. And we'll talk to Blacklock's reporting about why the NDP shut down any more investigation into the Lee scandal. That and more, let's get started. And yesterday I spoke with uh, my wife Carla, and that's exactly what we'll be doing. I know it's it's tough on everyone. It's tough not to sit down with, with my case, all my girls, but our, our family is no different uh, than than anyone else, and uh, we're we're all going to make sacrifices to stop the spread of COVID-19. Forget the salmonella, Doug's Ford wife laying down the law, and this year Thanksgiving only immediate family. So uh, we don't get those super turkey spreaders. Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, October 7th. I almost had it at the 6th, October 7th. Maybe that's why I've been screwed up all day. But uh, great to have you here. And the good news this Thanksgiving is um, that you will have a very, very small gathering, but there'll, there'll be far less fighting. We always end up talking politics in our house, always, which breaks all the rules of things you shouldn't do at the dinner table. We don't talk religion, we always talk politics, but this year it's just going to be the three of us. So that's not going to happen. Uh, and I ordered the bird this morning. I tried to get the smallest one possible. The smallest turkey I could get was 12 pounds, which I said, I, I take it that's enough for two adults and a small child, to which I was told, yes, you'll have leftovers for months. And I don't really even like turkey. But uh, by the way, here's my turkey secret. It's a good one. Uh, soak that sucker in a sink full of kosher salt with water. So put the water in, put some kosher salt, and uh, let that sucker su- you know, suck it up for about 12 hours. Stick it in the oven, and away you go. You will, not, you will have none of it stuck in your throat. It will be very, very juicy. That is my turkey trick. But today, let's talk turkey, shall we? Because I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to put it this way. What does Jagmeet Singh stand for other than fashion flair and his uh, political ambitions? What does he stand for? Because he claims he's in it for Canadians, but uh, you know his party's latest stunt says absolutely the opposite. And on Tuesday, no wait, when it is, is it Tuesday? Yes, Tuesday. That would be yesterday. Uh, NDP voted in favor of the Liberals to shut down any further investigation into the Wee scandal. And uh, the scandal the Liberals, of course, made go away with a very crass stunt by shutting down Parliament for five weeks. And so the Conservatives have brought forward. Uh, they brought forward a motion to review the justifications for that shutdown and to further investigate emails and documents that might involve Trudeau and the WE charity and any members of his family that may have uh, gotten payments through speaking engagements. Now, 
we have a right to know what led to a near billion dollar deal between friends in high places. We have a right to know if laws were broken. We have even more right to know if the liberals abuse their power using prorogation to make a scandal go away, because that's not what prorogation is for. Certainly not during a pandemic when we have this second wave barreling towards us. And sure, some people, who cares? You should care. This is a near billion dollar deal that looks to have broken all the rules and served to make a very few close friends in high places very, very rich in a stunt to basically, you know, buy votes. And before the shutdown, the NDP, remember, they led the charge on this scandal. I mean, Charlie Angus was in the headlines daily, charging that the prime minister and his party broke rules to help friends get rich. They were outraged, calling, you know, for heads to roll. Not so much now. And while the NDP admit, yes, there are troubling questions, for whatever reason, they decided they're going to cozy up to their besties and make it all go away. So how can you claim to be in this for Canadians and then turn around and help cover up possible corruption? NDP MP Alistair McGregor, he took to Twitter and boasted to Pierre Polyevra, quote, We outplayed you guys every step of the way in negotiations to get help for Canadians. Go ahead. Get lost in the minutiae of motions in committee meetings. Canadians know who leveraged a minority government to get them expanded recovery benefits and paid sick leave. I don't know if he talks like that, but... Well, that's not what happened. I mean, what what he did and what his party did was play Canadians and help an ethically challenged government possibly cover up corruption. I mean, you sold out to a government with a track record for breaking rules, and that never gets held to account, whether it's SNC, Mark Norman, or, 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 or name your scandal. There's pretty much one every day. I'll talk about one soon enough. And I think the NDP may think, oh, well, we got the last laugh, but you're woefully naive if you don't think your new bestie Trudeau is not going to throw you under the bus the second it serves as political purposes. I mean, give me a break. But government accountability is not a game. It's what is supposed to separate us from other shady players around the world. And yet, maybe the NDP's tipsy on this newfound power, you know, happy to take the table scraps from Trudeau in trade for helping cover up his dirty deeds. And if you wonder why people are so, so cynical about politics, this is a great example where a party chose political gain over principles. They chose to help protect a prime minister who has shown a very clear pattern of breaking rules. But it's clear the NDP are going to continue supporting them, deserved or not, because I guess it's as close to power as they can get with a leader who talks a good game, but repeatedly shows he's just, he's hip on TikTok, but offers very, very little su uh, substance. You know, he, he condemned Donald Trump on Twitter this week, calling him dangerous. But this is the guy that shed tears gushing over the death of murderous dictator Fidel Castro. I mean, try to, try to square that circle. And you'd think he might have learned from past experience, because when Singh was deputy leader of the Ontario NDP, he helped prop up Kathleen Wynne, you know, her corrupt government, on the promise she'd reduce insurance rates. And look how that turned out. They're higher than ever. And it's hard to imagine, you know, where would the NDP be today had they just stuck with Thomas Mulcair? And I didn't agree with him on a lot, but he's a very, very smart guy. He certainly wouldn't have lost 20 seats, and uh, he would have easily wiped the very smug smile from Trudeau's face. He was very, very effective in question period. 
So Singh might be the cool kid for now, but there is a very new, sharp, and I think very motivated uh, progressive leader on the scene now. And I'm going to put money on it right now that uh, Anime Paul is going to appeal to a lot of people looking for leadership on the left and are not finding it in the NDP. And we're going to chat with that new green leader at eight o'clock. And whether I agree with Ms. Paul or not on policy, I find her very impressive. I mean, very, very accomplished. And uh, she, a a lot, she showed a lot of character right out of the gate. She denounced the rampant anti-Semitism within her own party. You know, she parked politics for principle. And I respect that. That's important. We'll talk about the plastic ban announced today by the Liberals. I'll also ask her about that. A ban on all kinds of plastics that saved our rear ends during the pandemic. You know, the kind that allowed restaurants to stay open. The kind that allowed PPE to protect our front lines. The kind of plastic that is a big part of Alberta's recovery plan. But nowhere in the announcement was there a plan to fix the scam known as recycling, which is a, you know, something that could make a real difference. Because you'll recall Global News investigated this and a huge majority of what we put in the blue box just goes to the landfills. I mean, why would we not fix that? And why did they give water bottles a pass? Aren't they a massive contributor? I mean, why did they get a pass? That's crazy. We'll also talk about um, a story that, you remember that palatial yet so-so gaudy mansion up in Markham? The one where police say uh, was well-armed, running an alleged illegal casino where they found a million bucks cash, 11 guns. Well, the National Post is reporting that the businessman now accused moves in very, very high political circles. Also an advocate for China. And apparently in 2016, the guy known as Weiwei uh, met with Justin Trudeau twice, including at a controversial fundraiser in the home of another wealthy entrepreneur, as well as another member who donated a million bucks to the Trudeau Foundation, and then also put up a statue honoring his dad. And of course, this came up in question period today. Michael Barrett asking the question kind of, we all want to know. The prime minister should hope that Canadians don't judge him by the company that he keeps. And he's just the latest liberal with worrisome ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Chan, Pesca Solito, Barton, McCollum, these latest bad actors operating their illegal casino in Markham, just like the ones arrested, arrested this weekend in B.C., are helping arrest protesters in Hong Kong. But don't worry, they've donated millions of dollars to the Trudeau Foundation. Why should Canadians trust this defective liberal government complete with its Made in China sticker? I addressed that question, but again, it points out that the Conservatives are focused on trying to score political points at a time where Canadians expect people to come together. Yes. We are together, and together we're asking, what is wrong with you? Why do you keep such questionable company? And million dollars? How clean is that money? Maybe we should check that, given we know that dirty money is being laundered through this country at record rates. So maybe it's worth a question or two, and then we can all come together. If you want to feel like an underachiever, let's uh, take a look at this resume. Uh, two law degrees from Princeton. One from Princeton, one from the University of Ottawa, I should say. Founder of Canadian Centre for Political Leadership. Uh, a post-university job with global affairs working all over the world. Mastered for languages. Lifetime activist. Mother, wife, and uh, now she is the first black Jewish leader of a federal political party. 
making history in this country and now hoping to try and win Bill Morneau's now vacated seat. That's a lot. Annemie Paul is the new leader for the Green Party of Canada. Congratulations. I think I got everything in there. I kind of uh, glossed over it, but uh, you've done a bit. That sure is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yes, I've done, I've done a thing or two. Very nice to be with you. Thank you. You know, you're more of a, a moderate. I mean, your closest opponent was a what they would call, I guess, an eco-socialist, somewhat known for his anti-Israel and somewhat anti-Semitic views. And, and that has been a bit of a problem in the party. But you made it very clear and very quickly that uh, that is not acceptable under your leadership. And that's a risky move in politics because you risk alienating people in your party. Why was that so important to get that out there? Well, first I should say that it's the, uh, the green, um, our Green Party members who made that statement because if they felt differently, they wouldn't have elected a Jewish woman <laughs> to be their leader. Uh, and so I, and in terms of uh, anyone that it might be alienating, I, I don't mind alienating those people. Uh, you know, anyone who is interested in being educated and learning, um, that's great. Uh, but it, for those people, and it's a very small number of people, that just simply are not going to change those kind of hateful views. Um, there really is no place for them with us. No, there's not. There's no place for it anywhere. And it is uh, it is an issue in this country. Um, you know, those numbers are on the rise uh, and it, and we need more political leaders to speak out against it. And so, um, you know, this is going to be an issue and hopefully uh, not one that lasts, you know, much longer with, with voices like your own. But, you know, your party, uh, you don't have a seat in this and you're running in Toronto Centre, which is the riding next to mine. It is about as red a riding as you can get. And they, of course, have a star <laughs> candidate in Marcy Ian, handpicked, big profile. Um, and you ran here in 2019, and I would love to see a seat change here. There's a really big student population, and I think many of those could be disenfranchised by the NDP, which seem to be very tight right now with the uh, Liberals. It's hard to tell the parties apart. Is that where you feel strategically you can gain? Well, it's really tricky, you know. I mean, the student population, a lot of them haven't come back uh, to campus because of COVID. And, of course, that's a really uh, cynical and opportunistic thing about the election being called at this time, that life is really upended here in Toronto Centre. Um, but I think we can get votes from, from all over the place. Uh, there are affluent people in this riding who maybe they're okay, but they don't like uh, what they see when they come out their door every day and, and they want to take care of their neighbours. There are lots of people who have been um, have lost their jobs uh, because of the pandemic and haven't gotten that back and they don't have the protection they need. So I think there are a lot of people uh, who may be interested in sending a message at this time around and they don't have to worry about voting strategically. So I'm hoping that there's an opening uh, there for us. Yeah, we're having a little bit of trouble. Your mic is a little bit muffled. Um, I'm not sure if I, if I, it's hitting your face, but um, I'm not sure oh, if I, we can get I that better. T- it to my face. Is this any better? A little bit. There you go. There you go. Um, but it, <laughs> there you go. Um, but it is a tough riding. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard. There is the risk. I mean, like what happened to Jagmeet Singh when, you know, he didn't go and run for a seat. He wasn't sitting in parliament. So found himself sidelined for a very long time, which I think worked as a disadvantage to him. Is that a concern for you? Um, you know, we are in a minority situation, so we will be going to the polls sooner than later. But you have to build profile. Your resume is fantastic. But again, people need to get to know you. So if you don't get this seat, what is option B for you? Well, you know, I've learned a lot about how to lead, how to campaign, how to get profile in the middle of a pandemic. And so all of that is going to absolutely uh, come into play 
uh, you know, if I and I, I, you know, you never run thinking you're going to lose, and and so I'm think, I'm planning to win this riding, uh, but if I don't, uh, there are lots and lots of ways that uh, I can outreach to people in Canada. Uh, talking to you tonight is is one of those ways, for instance. Yeah, I mean, basically, people have been waiting, I think, for a long time to see what happens with the green and what direction they take. How do you win over? Uh, those who have looked at the green for a long time but can't quite get their head around maybe supporting Elizabeth May, where do you take the party? I mean, uh, you know, she founded it. It is a grassroots party. But where do you take it in order to make the gains? Well, you know, two-thirds, not two-thirds, I wish, but a good third of Canadians have said that they would consider voting green or rank green as their second choice. And so it's just a question of getting more of those people uh, over the finish line uh, the strategic vote is something that kills us every time. Uh, I believe that the next time around, because we're in this pandemic and because, uh, you know, I believe people are smart enough to recognize that it's the liberals and the conservatives uh, that got us uh, into, um, into a place where we weren't protected when the pandemic hit, uh, I think they're ready for a new choice. And so the message that I'm taking to them is that if you want the policies that are going to protect you the next time around, uh, you really have to be looking at uh, at the Green Party and taking that last step to vote for us. And, and so many people want to do it. The pandemic has uh, been a game changer in many, many ways. I mean, climate change has fallen in a list of priorities for people because people, frankly, are worried about health. They are worried about the economy. And so those are challenges moving forward. But you're, you you call climate change an existential uh, crisis, you know, facing the planet. Your party voted against the throne speech last night, which apparently no one knew about because everyone's too worried, worried about what's going on next door. But, you know, y- you believe the liberals and, and accuse them of, of delivering nothing more than platitudes. And so when you hear today something like the plastic ban of which they announced minus uh, drinking bottles because apparently water bottles got a free pass which I'm not really sure um, you know what would you have done uh, for an announcement like this yeah well as, as you said you know a, a platitude is not a plan and so when we're talking about really urgent things like cleaning up our coastlines like keeping microplastics out of our food chain uh, you know what we want to hear is not a well, first I'm glad to hear it when I hear it, but I'm tired of having this promise recycled over and over again. And so I'm hoping that this time is the last time, and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to stick to the timeline uh, to to get these uh, single-use plastics uh, out of out of circulation and out of uh, being manufactured. So you know, this is again, it's something that had there been a green government, we would have had a long time ago, uh, because we know how important it is, and whether it's this or the climate emergency in general. You just have to do what you have to do in the time you need to do it in uh, when it comes to these important things. And, uh, you know, often we can't count on the Liberals to do that, but this is one we're going to be holding them accountable for. Well, I mean, recycling was not mentioned in it. It has uh, been uh, deeply flawed for, for a, a number of decades, and that wasn't uh, a fix in it. I mean, that's one thing that they could have done, That would, uh, uh, I'm not sure why it wasn't added in. But there does have to be a balance uh, when, when forming these policies. And so given you're more moderate, how would you balance building a recovery plan, let's say, while uh, fulfilling the, the wants of your base? Well, the, the recovery, uh, when we get to it, and it's really important, especially uh, those of us in Ontario who are in the midst of a second wave that hasn't even hit its peak yet, uh, to know we're not in the recovery yet. Uh, this recovery uh, will offer us one of the most extraordinary opportunities in the history of Canada to uh, build, build better. 
uh, to be more resilient the next time and to create the economy of the future. If we're going to be spending hundreds of billions and every single party says we will, let's use every penny of that uh, wisely to make sure that we're putting in place the infrastructure, that we're creating the jobs of the future, um, and that we're getting to a uh, net zero, a climate zero economy uh, as soon as we can. Uh, this is the greatest economic opportunity that we will have in, in, in our generation. And that's Mark Carney that has said that, not me. And so I think that that's something that's a win-win-win. I can't see anyone who uh, wouldn't be excited by that. Well, a few people might not be excited about that. Those in the resource sector, uh, you know, who, who obviously would be put out of business, wouldn't be excited about that. And there are a lot of people, I mean, green policies are very, uh, you know, expensive, as we saw in Ontario. And so you have to balance recovery and make sure that the jobs you create aren't going to be done so um, at the, the expense of a whole swath of, of um, sectors. That, that is the, well, the risk. Yeah, well, my, you know, my, my brother uh, up until very recently was working out in the oil patch in Alberta as a, as, you know, as a roughneck on a crew. And so I 100% agree with you. We can't do this in a way that leaves anyone behind. But they're exactly, you know, my brother and, and those workers are exactly who I'm thinking of. That sector is in an irreversible decline. And that's not me again. You know, that's the IMF and that's the World Bank and that's BlackRock Investments that's saying that. Um, what we want to be doing is finding the jobs of the future for those workers. And those are green jobs. Those jobs pay more money. You can take them right away without having to retrain. And for every dollar, you know, million dollars you spend in, in green jobs, you get eight jobs as opposed to three jobs you get in fossil fuels. So we're not going to be leaving any, any, any Canadian behind that as we plan uh, for, for the future. Boy, you must have some very, very colorful dinner conversations around the table. I got to tell you. Well, you know what? He just doesn't want to boom and bust. You know, I don't want that for him. I don't want that for anybody out in Alberta. Uh, it's time to diversify that economy. I think even uh, even um, 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 Premier Kenny understands that. You know, there has to be more options. We can't be hostage to a market that we can't control. Um, that's not the kind of thing you have uh, in, a, in a wealthy country like Canada. It's time for that to change. Yell, uh, here's the platform for you. So uh, for those who don't know you in Toronto Centre, here's what's your pitch? My pitch is it's time for you to have real representation. After all of these decades of liberal neglect, uh, you know, where every single quality of life indicator has plummeted, and after this, the urgency of the pandemic has made everything worse, and after the insults of having a by-election called, uh, you know, in the, the midst of a peak in the second wave, I just say that it's enough and elect yeah. someone who's going to put you first. Well, I wish you the best of luck. It is a very tough race you are in, but we will stay tuned and see what you can do. Cheers. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. So, yes, definitely stay tuned and watch this space. Thank you so much for inviting me. Most welcome. Thank you. Happy uh, Happy Thanksgiving, I should say. That is uh, Anna Mae Paul. She's running in Toronto Centre. It is a very, very tough tough uh, race, but nonetheless, it's also going to be high profile because it'll get a lot of attention. So we'll see what happens. All right, good to have you here on this Tuesday, and it has been a busy one. And uh, look, it's no secret, the Liberals are all in on this green thing. And today, of course, the big story, the announcement of uh, a ban on single-use plastic effective next year. So things like straws, plastic uh, bags, cutlery, all the things that have saved restaurants through this pandemic, and of course, gave us our PPE. The Liberals have made it very clear that their recovery agenda is going all green policy, even if it comes at the cost of jobs or hits everyday Canadians in the pocketbook. And of course, they laid this all out in the throne speech, and that got, of course, voted in last night with support of the NDP. 
and there's this promise of a million jobs are going to tax pollution. And as Dad McTagg writes in an op-ed for the Financial Post, come hell or high water, they're going to get us to net zero by 2050 because as this former liberal sees it, the new liberals are becoming a climate cult. Dan McTagg joining us now, CEO of Affordable Energy. Good to have you, Dan. Oh, good to be here, Alex. You state pretty categorically that the Trudeau government's obsessed with this issue. And of course, their latest move is this proposal ban on plastic. This will be very popular because no one likes to see a whale choking on plastic or landfills full of plastic. It's, it, we don't want the environment hurt by this, by this, but there is a cost. It's a huge part of the recovery plan for Alberta. And as I point out, single plastic use saved restaurants during the pandemic and healthcare workers with PPE. You know, Alex, uh, the imagery is very powerful, same way it was with uh, polar bears two years ago, which turned out to be false. And uh, in fact, I'm not suggesting in any way that we shouldn't take, uh, you know, plastics uh, and their dis disposal uh, in any way, shape or form as an unserious matter. But I think if you have a problem with uh, plastic waste, then the res re the response has to be in terms of recycling, a better recycling program. Right. I know a little bit about that, Alex. Uh, one of the inventors of the blue bin came from my rotting pickering. He's since passed away, but it seems to me that uh, they're shortcutting that system and simply saying, we are going with the images, we're going full on. And as a result, you're likely not to just do damage to the Canadian economy as far as Alberta is concerned. Think of our petrochemical sector. Where do you stop with PPEs, with ventilators? Uh, there's no doubt uh, this will have enormous implications for the rest of the country, far beyond the so-called environmental benefits that we're trying to solve. Yeah, and to your point on the blue bins, I mean, Global News did an investigation into this and what we put in the bin, the, the I mean, it's barely anything that actually gets recycled because it's such a flawed program. And nowhere in today's announcement do they talk about going after the recycling industry, which is clearly in need of an overhaul at every level because it's not working. It's just a mirage of, you know, you think you're doing something good and essentially most of what you put in there is going to the landfill. Why, why wouldn't they overhaul that? Well, they wouldn't overhaul that because they're not. Uh, this is not what they're allowed to think. It's much easier to go out and banning, prohibiting, burning, whatever the case you may call it. Uh, it. Much easier to serve their constituency. Look, I have a refrigerator behind here. I have five kids. They use plastic bags uh, to keep the milk separate from contamination. We do it when we go to the grocery store. Plastics uh, are a solution, not an evil. And for that reason, it uh, it doesn't just take the pandemic to, to uh, do a sort of a moment of uh, clarification for for people who haven't really thought this out. The reality is this is what happens when you have a group of Canadians enraptured by all things climate, that uh, rational, reasonable, well-thought-out policy is cast aside in favour of trendy, quick fixes that are likely to do far more damage and not, I should repeat, will not uh, you know, accomplish the goal that is at hand. If we think plastics in the oceans is a problem, then let's start dealing with the countries that are dumping their plastics right. in the oceans. That's not Canada. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's a lot of the third world countries. It's certainly China. By the way, it bears out saying, if you're going to do something, stop having uh, trendy communities like Victoria and others uh, dump their effluent into the uh, into the oceans. Where's the multi-billions of dollars that should be invested there? I think uh, of, of all the money the government spent, it certainly had $900 million for the WEE program. That could probably go a long way of building uh, the city of Victoria, uh, a decent uh, water treatment facility, and uh, perhaps even deal with uh, other cities like Montreal that... Uh, from time to time, flush trillions of liters of gas, of, of oil, of uh, garbage, which might very well include toxic products derived from plastics, if that's where we're going.
Right. And it's interesting because they, there's no question that it's all things green. I mean, the, the urban refinery um, two days ago was shut down on the East Coast. Nary a whimper by anybody, not even a, a, not even a comment. No one's even talking about it. The Alaska pipeline has already been given a poo-poo by, by, by the prime minister. So there's very clear where their agenda lays. But, I mean, you have been raising, I mean, the big issue of, of your op-ed is talking about the clean fuel standard, which, again, in theory sounds terrific. Who doesn't want clean fuel? But it's the second of a carbon tax. It's going to cost jobs, but it also drives up costs on everything, whether it's at the gas pump or what you heat your home with. Let's understand that the clean fuel standard is a misnomer. It's a euphemism, and it's an absolute misleading uh, suggestion that Canada has achieved clean air. If you look at the vehicles that are on the road today to industrial emissions and the strict guidelines and regulations that are in place, we haven't had violations on a significant level in a very, very long time. So we have achieved that. So let's start with the fact that the title itself is a fraud. Let's go on to what the other factors are. They're suggesting that somehow by implying this particular tax or regulation, that somehow we're going to meet uh, our objectives. Let's assume for a second we could meet those objectives. Unfortunately, with the growth in the Canadian economy, relying on more uh, ethanol being produced primarily in the United States, where, of course, a lot of the electricity to make that ethanol comes from coal plants, you're likely not to achieve not only your target, but you're likely to miss that target altogether. At the same time, do nothing to uh, to talk about the cost of uh, food for uh, for farmers uh, who are going to displace some of their uh, some of their crops. And let's deal with the reality that even if the economy in normal periods of time were grow to grow by two or three percent, any growth in their economy means more growth, more use, more demand of fuels, not less. Therefore, you're not going to achieve that objective. What you are going to get is a second tax that's going to lead to thirty thousand lost jobs in Canada, $22 billion in, uh, in in revenue that will simply, in capital, that will go to another part of the world. And of course, for provinces like Ontario, can they do without $5 billion bucks? It's time for the folks that understand these policies to recognize that the Liberals don't care about the consequences. What they're more interested in is making a political statement in order to uh, engender support from those fringe groups in the NDP and the, and the Greens. Well, I mean, look, I mean, to that point, I mean, um, the NDP, of course, will prop this government up. As you've seen, they've got quashed the, the, the WE scandal and they did support the throne speech. But it was the Green Party that actually voted against the throne speech because Anna Mee uh, Paul, who we had on earlier in the show, I mean, she said these, these green initiatives don't demonstrate any actual, um, you know, support for the climate. They won't do anything. Well, look, if uh, at the end of this, we've spent a considerable amount of time, and Alex, you and I talked about this in a previous show, we had, uh, since the July, been working together with economists to point out that no even green economist would support things like a clean fuel standard for the simple reason that it imposes regulations already on an efficient form of carbon emissions pricing. So you don't complicate or add a burden to something that is supposed to work. If there's an issue with that, then yeah, calibrate it upwards and use that in the form of a rebate. Remember, this second carbon tax, because that's what it amounts to, is, of course, the price of uh, taxing extraction, production, distribution of things like coal, natural gas, oil, uh, take your pick of any hydrocarbon, gets hit every single time where they have to go to the credit market. Those credit markets are owned by the big companies, the big Bloombergs, the Goldman Sachs. The same folks that keep talking to us about climate change are also the ones profiting from it. Sure. That aside, you're not going to achieve the objective you see it set out. What you're going to do is do untold damage to the Canadian economy. I mean, we've seen it in the biofuel market, um, the, the fraud that that is, you know, you have to kill a sector of the environment to to make a fuel that, again, you're killing one to help another. And again, 
you're right. Follow the dollar. And all the guys on Wall Street and Bay Street, they love these green stocks because they're raking it in and it's doing And you're subsidizing it. Yeah. Poor people, just in the yeah. same way when you're buying electric vehicles, people, poor people are subsidizing rich people so they can have these vanity cars. Same rich people, who many of whom, and I know, have taken their money and got it the hell out of Canada. So this is a double shock for the country. It's a double shock economically. It's about to pinch us in the backside. The last thing we need is some woke, trendy policy, which doesn't measure by any standard, even the environmental standard, to be implemented. So I dare the Liberals to bring this on. If they do, it simply confirms what my suspicion has been for some, for some time. This is not a political party with the interests of Canadians at heart. It's a cult, and it's enraptured by terrible, bad ideology. Sadly, we will pay the price for that. Uh, Dan, appreciate it. Always thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Alex. That is Dan McTagg joining us. And uh, again, we will wait and see. Don't forget, we talked about the uh, green subsidy to cars, $186 million paid out. I mean, if you want to buy a Tesla, knock your boots, but we should not be paying for that. That is not helping the poor or, or anything for the environment. It's just a big fraud. When we come back, the Liberals uh, seem you know, to be changing their stance on China, quietly, albeit, and after months of silence, now we are taking in Hong Kong pro-democracy activists. We will talk about that. Did they maybe see some polling on this? Maybe Aaron O'Toole is a threat. We'll talk about that coming up in just a minute. Stay with us here, Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio. All righty, it is time now to dig between the headlines where we find the stories that often get buried, but shouldn't because they actually do, in fact, matter to you and no one does it better these days than Black Locks reporting. Tom Korski is managing editor over at Black Locks. Good to have you, Tom. Thank you, Alex. Lots going on, uh, I mean, as far as politics with the we scandal-ish. I mean, the NDP yesterday voted with the Liberals to shut down any further committee investigations, which would have looked into payments the Trudeau family may have gotten and correspondence between the Prime Minister's office and anybody over at the Weed Charity. Um, Charlie Angus obviously uh, is hitting back saying, you know, we're, we're focusing on other things. I mean, what, why, why would they prop this government up after going so full throttle on this thing? This was a meeting of the House Affairs Committee. It was a pretty straightforward motion that the chair of the committee, the Liberal chair, had uh, postponed for a week, and the motion essentially sought uh, disclosure of records that will be disclosed in any event uh, in the coming weeks and should have been disclosed in August uh, before the Prime Minister suspended Parliament. And oddly, there was um, uh, a little-known New Democrat MP from Powell River, B.C., named Rachel Blaney, who voted for the uh, uh, dismissal of this motion, essentially, delaying delay of the disclosure, which is clearly public business. Um, uh, Ms. Blaney didn't explain why. Uh, she uh, expressed an opinion during the course of the meeting that she was confused as to what the proceedings were. It's not obvious, um, uh, Alex, but, but what is also even less uh, clear is what the holdup is. Uh, these documents will be released. People want to know. They have a right to know. This involves federal contracting, payments to uh, public office holders and their family members, in the case, uh, case of the prime minister. We're going to find out all of this anyway. So it wasn't really obvious what, what MP Blaney's point was. Right. I mean, look, they cynically and, and grossly shut down Parliament to make the we scandal go away. That in itself deserves uh, an investigation. But, you know, the NDP, I'm beginning, what do they stand for? I mean, are they good with corruption? Are they good propping up corruption as long as they can get a few table scraps along the way? 
In the words of an old federal judge, uh, though, never ascribed to maliciousness, uh, maliciousness that, that which may simply be incompetent. And in the case of this member of parliament from Powell River, it, it, it really isn't clear whether Rachel Blaney knew what was going on, whether she understood the motion, wh- what her point was. We're going to get these documents anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, People have to see them. It's the old issue in Ottawa of power, ethics, accountability, and transparency. No one's going to block that with a single vote in a casual meeting. But no, it was not a great day for this member of parliament from Powell River. No, and it reflects on Charlie. I mean, Charlie Angus has been really superb during this whole thing. And it just, you know, he seems like the only adult in the room. And again, it's like, dude, step up. I mean, it doesn't doesn't look all that good. But I was refreshed to uh, read... Um, you know, that you guys uh, found that Liberal John McKay, long time, I mean, he's one of the longest serving MPs, Liberal MP, and it's nice to see that they're, that they're not all comfortable with the massive amounts of, of spending, because he rightly questions, you know, like, how are we paying for this? Because, as he points out, there will be a day of reckoning. John McKay is an eight-term member. He came here in 1997. That's an important year. That's when they started balancing the budgets after very painful cuts. And they were painful, Alex. I mean, you know, there there were people waiting a year and a half for hip operation in Winnipeg after they started cutting, and they had to make those cuts. Deficits equal cuts and tax increases. It's straight arithmetic. John McKay uh, was in the House of Commons, and he said he expressed worry and unease. He said, "You have to f- get a budget, ha- get a fiscal anchor, as he called it. Otherwise, you are merely going in dizzying circles." Quote unquote. The taxpayer has to know what our targets are and whether we're meeting them or not. This is not revolutionary, but it is in this parliament that still hasn't come up with a budget. He was very uh, uneasy with deficit spending. And as you correctly note, said, uh, we understand people needed help. This is a pandemic and a recession. Everybody gets that. But the bills must be paid and there will be a day of reckoning. Yeah, they're blinded by ideology now, and that concerns me. And uh, and again, they're going to get propped up by the NDP, so who knows how long the spending can go on. But he's not the only one, uh, you know, citing these concerns, certainly the um, Parliamentary Budget Officer also, and, and the credit agencies, and, and, and. And then, of course, you know, some of the spending we're talking about, and this, this, this is crazy, $186 million has been given in rebates for electric car buyers. And um, this is part of a $300 million rebate program, but this is being sold as making zero emission more affordable. But we're talking, Tesla got upwards of $60 million of this money. We're talking about vehicles that are what, $49,000? That's who this money goes to? That's who we're subsidizing? Very expensive vehicles, which is why people don't buy them. Uh, You know, if electric cars were hugely successful in the marketplace, you wouldn't have to give people a taxpayer's rebate, but they do up to $5,000 under the federal program, as you mentioned. First-year costs are almost up to $190 You say, well, that's great. It's about climate change, which begs the question, what volume of greenhouse gas emissions were saved with these rebates? What were the costs per tonne? Alex, there have been legislators, senators, MPs, and analysts asking that question for the past year, and the Department of Transport still doesn't have an answer. They literally cannot tell you what climate good was achieved by throwing $189 million 
at electric car buyers. It seems essential. As one senator from Newfoundland put it, our, our point here is not to sell electric cars. I thought our point was to save the planet. We're supposed to reduce emissions, right? Mm. So what's the reduction in emissions? And Transport Canada, every time you ask that question, says, we don't know. Right, because we're not driving Impalas anymore, and and the cars today are made so fuel efficient, you don't get them checked, so they don't have the data to justify the cost. But like trying to sell this as you know more affordable, it's one thing if you sell a fifteen thousand dollar you know car to to someone who can't afford it, you know, to keep the emissions down. Even then, but we're talking Teslas for people that can more than afford them, and again, it's just pissing money away. Data show in British Columbia, where they still maintain a rebate program. You recall Ontario got rid of its uh, its rebates two years ago. Mm-hmm. In British Columbia, tailpipe emissions in the transportation sector since 2015 have gone up despite rebates. Yeah. They're supposed to go down. If they go up, then you don't have the money and you don't have the benefit of feeling really good about saving the planet. It, it, it's just, it's a crazy concept program, but I, it, it's not obvious why the proponents can't get the math straight. And it's not because they haven't been asked the question many times. Yeah, but it sounds so good, Tom. It sounds like we're doing <laughs> it stuff. Does. It yeah. sounds great. I know. <laughs> All right, Tom, on that note, thank you. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Alex. That is Tom Korski, managing editor over at Blacklocks. It is a subscription-based magazine and worth every single penny. Thanks for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10 here on Point. Alex Pearson here. This is Global News Radio.